You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. talking about brian eno ambient one music for airports in the room i have ann hi on the line i have rob hey how are you kyle oblique strategies and jackson (laughs) hello ambient one music for airports is the sixth studio album by english musician brian eno released 1978 on Polydor Records. The producer was Brian Eno, and the genre is ambient and minimalism. And I'm gonna read from the book, Will Fulford Jones. If the first three solo records Brian Eno released in the early 70s represented a left turn from his work with Roxy Music, then 1975's discrete music was virtually a liftoff into space. The quartet of drifting, particularly hypnotic soundscapes, three of them renovations of Pachelbel's Canon in D major marked his first forays into what he called ambient music. The idea was the progression of sorts from French composer Eric Satie's creation in 1920 of music d'ambulantement, literally furniture music, designed less to be listened to and more to be occasionally overheard. Discrete music was conceived during an extended hospital visit for its follow-up, Eno produced this set inspired by a similarly sterile environment. Quote, it must be as ignorable as it is interesting, end quote, wrote Eno in the liner notes to Ambient One, Music for Airports. As a manifesto, it could scarcely have been more fully realized. The four shapeless works drift glacially in and out of focus. A ghostly choir, some muted brass, countless piano teardrops and yet despite the lack of structure it is never displeasing due chiefly to its astutely grounded tonality some critics called it boring missing the point by a mile undeterred eno followed ambient one music for airports with numerous other records of a similar bent most notably 1982's mysterious enveloping ambient four on land and the glorious leap ethereal Apollo atmospheres and soundtracks from 1983. All right. What do we think of Brian Eno ambient one music for airports? Guys, this is my favorite album of all time. Wow. Really? Yes. (laughs) I can tell you put a lot of thought into it. I have listened to this album. I'm sort of convinced more than any living human being in the world. I, I can vouch for that. I think she's I'm listened choked. to it at least once a day for the past five, at least years, five years. Um, well, and so I listened to, I've listened to one, one, the track one, one, and mm-hmm. then I listened to the track two, two quite a bit. 
the middle ones I listen to less. But what what do you do while you listen to these songs? So when I listen to this, like I I walk every day and it's sort of like a generative process for trying to write. So like it's a big part of my writing process to have this playing and like what the intent behind this, like according to Brian, Eno, this like ambient music is to induce a state of calm and to create space to think. So like for me, that works very well because I'm extremely anxious <laughs> and like live my life like a startled horse. So like when I listen to this album, I feel calmed down in a really distinct way which is helpful <laughs> Yeah, I bet. if you're not calm. And then like it also, because of the way that it's constructed and like the, the space for silence and the space for noise. And also cause I'm so familiar with it because I've listened to it an insane amount of times. Like it does create this like really good space for thinking about things too. Like it can block out some of the more annoy- annoying, like ambient sound, but allow space for, ambient sound that's interesting right i love this album but i want to know what you guys think about it (laughs) i also love this album to pieces and i love all i love so much stuff that it's influenced as probably isn't like the first like ambient album but it's definitely super influential i was gonna say it's probably the most um it's one of the first widely known and acknowledged ambient albums. I mean, you could you could go back to the Eric Satie. Um, well, and he like discrete music is this. It's also got generative music in it, which is another thing that Brian Eno's into. But like, it doesn't hit the same way this does. And this also says the word ambient, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I am crazy about this record. Uh man. Uh well, I can say this is my first time listening to this on purpose and really? um yeah, this uh this week. Um well, kind of like what I said on the chat, which was uh you know, it's uh music for uh massages and yoga retreats. Um and it does inspire a relaxing feeling, much like the uh beginning of Kenny Loggins, I'm all right from the Kenny Shack soundtrack. So uh, see, <laughs> and, and what, what I see, I, I see you trying to grapple with these things simultaneously, which is, which is fun for me. Well, and so like the intention behind the music is that you can decide to pay attention to it or not, but that it's complex enough that it's not the same as like music. Right. Yeah. So like, that's fine if you don't want to pay. And like sometimes when I'm like thinking around listening to it, what's good about it is that I can not hear it. But I also like in paying attention to it, it's beautiful to me. Like I listened to it straight through lots this week where I was like preparing for the podcast. And it's just like incredibly beautiful and engaging. If you're actually just only paying attention to it to me. Did you guys, um, that reminds me what you just said, Anne. Did you guys read the Rolling Stone review for this when it first came out? No. no. Really, um, I think I did. Tell me what it is. Cause I don't yeah, well, there's a, there's, tell there's, the listeners. Um, there's a good deal of high craftsmanship here, but to find it, you've got to thwart the music's intent by concentrating. <laughs> Sick burn. Ouch. Also, fuck you. It's awesome to concentrate 
I enjoy it, Rolling Stone. <laughs> I think the listeners need to Sorry, also hear, like, this was, you know, it's like a series of tape loops designed to be an, in, an installation as well. Yeah. Like, I absolutely. think that's important to put into context. Speaking of installation, um, this reminds me of when Brian Eno did the music for Windows 95 installation. <laughs> yeah. Damn. We talked about that with a different Brian Eno, but oh. yeah, he is like, ridiculously everywhere <laughs> in many ways. I like every time he's on in the book, I'm like, I'm going to read his whole Wikipedia page, but I never get to No, it. so much <laughs> like, stuff. What a crazy career. So he's it's just a lot of stuff. And so like what I also like about the album is it pulls together. He loves installation music. And that's what this wasn't originally intended as, right? Yeah. He was in an airport in Cologne, Germany. And he was like, this needs, I need to hear stuff that doesn't suck because I'm here for two hours for no reason, which is like cute because like two hours was like a really long layover, right? <laughs> Probably. But like, and then he also like is really like the thing that also happens on this album is generative music, which is um, when you loop things at different rates, it can sort of infinitely exist and nothing will repeat. And he said that he's he had always been interested in that. Like his first thought about that was wind chimes, which are like these tones that are the same, but they're, you know, the wind is never the same. And so like in track two one that happens, like he loops all these voices and they're like at different rates and they will never repeat. Like he said, there's a 30 minute version of the track that he can bore people with, but nobody wants to listen. So it's like a... <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, maybe I do. I mean, uh, yeah, I'd be down. I think it, so. That's like an extended sort of version of like Steve Reich's concept of like phasing, like yeah. in, in and yeah. out. And, yeah, or that uh, William Bazinski's disintegrated loops, where they loop, they loop, they disintegrate as they're they continuously loop, right. um, creating a different element. Um, maybe that's a little more straightforward but yeah overlapping sounds within this space i did find it really interesting doing some research this week about how he came up with some of the piano uh interludes in one one and i think maybe two two um of him having uh the pianist play those different chords and melodies but they couldn't hear each other and then he selected pieces uh from those different uh, piano compositions, he slowed them down and then just had them loop over each other to create this, this, um, this sort of soundscape. And he selected the moments he liked the yeah. best. That was one one. Yeah. I thought it was uh, cool too, to when listening to one, two or sorry, two, one, one, two. Um, I was really wondering what, where did the synth pad come from or when you're using a synthesizer it would it'd be you know there's things called synth pads um like what what does that represent because that's what i think of when i think of these the the two middle songs is because it just has that element in what i could determine rob correct me if i'm wrong is that the pad means it's padding out the space spatially it's uh, filling up the area as you would with classical music. And so with these vocal 
sort of overlay. It has a wide range of multiple instruments playing at the same time. Um, but a lot of what it, it has is the attack is uh, is delayed, the release is uh, delayed, and the sustain is is uh, increased for you to get this sort of. Uh, it doesn't start right when you're hitting the note. I didn't look anything up about what he was playing. Um, it's an ARP twenty six hundred. I just yeah. I Very like kind of clicked at it. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, I don't understand what they're talking about. Maybe someone can explain this to me. Um, twenty six hundred was the uh, like the the big one that uh, I think Ozzy used on the uh, Blizzard of Oz. <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> but. I don't think it was more than like a three oscillator uh, monophonic synthesizer. So like building out pads with that. Um, and honestly, like my, my experience with pads were always these sounds I didn't use on synthesizers like that I bought in the nineties. Um, but I think you're onto something Birch with the uh, idea of it just padding out like the uh, everything else, like on the track and yeah, it's a slow attack, long decay. Um, and mm. Yeah, but like doing that with a with the ARP, I mean, I if they had like individual envelopes for each oscillator, then yeah, you could get some weird like uh, weird textures out of it that would that would be like considered a pad. But you couldn't save anything like on those synthesizers, so like it, it all right. had to be programmed in. Um, so which is where, where my brain's kind of breaking a little bit on the idea of a pad. Like I think of that as a present or just like a sound that you can like channel up, not something you have to program. Right. What I was trying to explain with that, too, is that this album basically defined what we currently think of when we think of pad, um, the synthesizer pads that you, that mm-hmm. are pre-programmed in every single synthesizer now. I mean, just listening to uh, is it one, two? Yeah, one two. We're on two one. Sorry, right two now. one. I was getting confused. Uh, on two one, I mean, it just this is you push a button and it sounds like yeah, this. for sure. Right. Which is which is really incredible well, for he was, an album to do. He was taking the tape around chair legs to do this. Yeah, and it was like this thing that he created, and the reason he was doing that, who knows? But like part of it was that the way that he did that was like creating these distinct numerical combinations so that nothing would repeat. And that's what the generative music thing is. It's like the idea that things will progress and they won't be repeated. That's fucking bananas. Yeah. It's like, yeah, a no, it's crazy, wild. Like, like just to see a experiment. picture of that just like seems so fun. And like the fact that he was thinking about that. Cause like, I feel like some of the apex of this came like in the, late nineties, early two thousands, there was like a computer program that he was like on board with creating this generative music stuff where it was like, we can make these tones. And like, if we time them right, they'll never interact the same. And you can listen to like a million hours of one thing and it won't ever repeat. And like, you know, (laughs) whether or not you want to listen to that is like your personal preference that I respect, (laughs) but like, but like he definitely was thinking way ahead of the technology in a certain way. Definitely.
And something else that was interesting that I read when he was sort of talking about that was that he's, he thinks that like music is more, he, he's interested in the create, creativity aspect of making music more than like the virtuosity aspect. So like he wants to try to like sort of break the mold of how we think about music more than like try to like work within sort of expected parameters. Sure. And like that's also why I like this album. It's just like it's past things that I've heard before and after. Like it exists in a different way because it's about like time and space in a different way than a lot of music I hear. I guess. Yeah, I mean the, the, this usher, this ushered in a whole bunch of crystal worshiping weirdo like uh new age like tracks like we were talking about pure moods a billion years ago with the uh, mike oldfield stuff um, and this uh yeah i mean i don't i don't think any of eno's stuff was on pure moods which is no. very surprising no. to me with this uh with He's not gonna let them put his stuff on pure moods. <laughs> Come on! I don't know, man. That, that, that record, was funny. Yeah. yeah, that record sold really well. I mean, I guess maybe he would think it was funny, but would they give him that much money? I, I mean, that record was a. Did they advertise that on TV? Yeah, man, it was gigantic. Like uh, that—that's where I first heard Tubular Bells outside of The Exorcist. All seventeen minutes of it. <laughs> um. Oh, I, I'm I'm just circling back on the like, like, and I really like this record. Like it, it's amazing what's going on. But like, it's also the the harbinger of some other shit <laughs> that. Well, but you don't comes like, down the pike. Like, you don't have to listen to that shit. You could just listen to this album like every single day of your life for five or six years, or maybe forever. Could, it, and it, that- <laughs> it, it's, it's good to acknowledge, like you know what it what it spawned. You know. Things can spawn shitty stuff, but I think it has also spawned a lot of really interesting. Tell, tell me of the interesting. Tell music. me of the interesting, excellent ambient music. So, like music. the Bazinski's disintegration loops. That's after this for sure, right? Yeah, have you I heard not. that? It's um, it's like really beautifully. It's like this idea that you know how tape degrades when you play it over and mm-hmm. over again. So it's it's like these tapes that are degrading. So you hear repeated things and they're like sort of dying and it's gorgeous and like very calming, a little sad, obviously, but like, like it's, it's just this beautiful thing that exists. And like, that is a, a good that came out of this one of the good things. I mean, like, and like, so Jackson, I feel like you could probably speak better to like, cause I'm not as much as I listen to this album literally constantly like i am not as schooled in ambient music because i'm kind of like easing into it in certain ways well no but i think like, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying 100 percent um and i can answer rob i can maybe answer your question a little bit like and i think that you know this too you would understand you would recognize that like um yeah pure moods this is some pure moods vibes probably like later on but also completely um, influenced the language of electronic music in general. I mean, as, in a fundamental way, I think, even though it is just, we're t- you know, we're talking the most basic sort, like what, what, the, what the listener hears, you know, they don't know that Brian Eno's doing all this, you know, music theorizing and like experimenting on um, all this different stuff to make the record, to make, to make this record. But I feel like there's a lot of fundamental electronic 
music world in general uh, language that comes out of this. And we need to hear what Kyle thinks at this point because we haven't even heard from him. I was, I was going to say two words, Rob. Blade Runner. Oh, <laughs> big time. Well, and that's the big last time. track on this so album Vantelis? is... It is Vince. Yeah. Yes. Like very firmly to me, like always reminds me of Blade Runner, but it's not related to it in any way. It's just like, it feels like it the same way. Kyle, tell us what sure. you think about this. I, you know, I don't have too much to say. Um, love Brian, you know, loved him in Roxy Music. Uh, I think his production is interesting. Um, uh, another Green World. Yeah, it's a great record. That's that's the first, you know, album that I really got into. Um, you know, the, the Berlin trilogy. Uh, this record's good. I, uh, I've played it in my classroom. It's highly effective. It's, but it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting whether you're supposed to like listen to it and study it or just kind of like let it wash over you. Um, like, like that quote that I brought up, like, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, I've listened to it several times, you know, to get ready for this. Um, and I can see, you know, I can see where Rob's coming from. Um, when I first, and I'd heard it like 20 years ago, when I first sat down, um, when I was student teaching, um, in a special education classroom, they played a lot of peer mood, peer moods type stuff. And it, it totally brought me back to that. But, um, uh, you know, not really necessarily in a bad way. It's, it's fascinating. Um, it does, you know, if you get to like, listen to it and kind of like, let it fill you. Um, you know, it's not, it's not odious. Like it has like a, you know, like a purpose and it, it definitely affects me, but it's, this is just. I'll be honest. This is one of the. This is probably the most difficult record for me to talk about. It's good. It's great. I mean, it's it's fascinating. You know, reading about the production of it and the tape loops and everything. I just want to keep listening to uh, Chic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's supposed to let you leave it in the background <laughs> if you want to, right? Yeah, that's like, sure. and, and that's, that's part of like that. its function. Yeah. But I guess for me, like as somebody that maybe sometimes needs to calm down. Like I feel very connected to this in a different and like heavily emotional way, like than anything else I've listened to because it helps me like get to like a create creative space that I can't access easily otherwise maybe, or I can, but like it's, it's like a shortcut in a certain way. Like it's, it's got this element that like allows space for thinking that I haven't found in a lot of other music. Yeah, definitely That's hearing awesome. um, insights into this record. Um, definitely put it in a, in a, in a different light than, I mean, not a different light, but it definitely uh, adds to kind of what I've been drawing from it. I, it's Brian, you know, I can't tell if he's like having a laugh. You know what I'm saying? I can't, I can't, <laughs> I mean, he. I think he is. He is and isn't. I mean, he's making an installation. You I don't know, think he's laughing at, at all airport, at an airport. Well, but so he, he, his idea was that, like, I'm like sure. it is. What if? What if you change the torture of existing in modern life to something that is um, appreciating the more emotional, esoteric elements of modern life? So, like, the thing that I've read about this album in general, is like when you put this on in an airport, you are able to access this empathy for like fellow humanity that you would never be able to access otherwise because it's fucking hell to be in an airport and like navigating complex restrictive systems all the time. And like what I like about 
the way this makes me feel and think is that I can sort of get past those systems and that restriction and like sort of re-engage with like the more primally beautiful things about like the human experience and like you know that sounds silly but I'm also really sincere about it because I love this album like it's just very important to like helping me understand like how I feel in certain ways yeah I think I mean I identify with a lot of music like this lo-fi uh lo-fi music ambient music caretaker Aphex Twin, minimal music, um, and and sort of electronic minimal minimalism, and a lot of times I I put it on because I want to, you know, have a sort of experience. I don't get into psychedelic music so much, but it, I feel like this thing is related. This kind of music is related more to Dark Side of the Moon and those sort of elements. Which How, I hate. However, <laughs> those. <laughs> Let's. However, those albums and those things are telling you, um, telling you a story, telling you what to think about. Whereas this music lets you extract your own meaning and to have your own, have the space to have your own thoughts about what it means, almost as a a, a movie soundtrack. Um, or, or developing your own ideas as the album is progressing. The thing I do really appreciate about, about this album is it is not just a straight um, a repetition of uh, these things. There's overlapping samples that that are unexpected, well, and, and it, so you're so it can be a little more challenging if you're sitting down and trying to to concentrate on it. But at the same time, it is nice and pleasant to to wash over. Well, and so it, it like it also like it's cohesive as an album because it starts with this beautiful piano that's like creating all this space for other noise, and then it's these voices that are looped over and over, and then it's the joining of them in the third track on the album, right? It's like the voices, but then also the piano. And then the last track is just purely a synthesizer. It's like, it gets you from like traditional instrument, like that you're used to, but in, used in a really different way. And then it co- goes all the way to this like beautiful alien future sound that's like to me. And I listened to one, one, in the summer and spring, like when I'm walking, and when it's fall and winter, I listen to Tutu on repeat more because they're like these opposite sides of things. It's like the more hopeful, like birthful things, and then the more meditative, deathful things, but they both exist in the same space for me. And the album, like, goes through all of that. And it gets you from one to the other. And the reason I don't listen to those middle ones is because they're more transitional. And I like those extremes. But, like, I just love it <laughs> so much. Yeah. It's just really beautiful. I don't it's know. So beautiful. No, I'm mean, really happy to hear somebody talk about their favorite album, you know. <laughs> I'm serious. Mean, like, I know it's fucking weird, but, like, I really, really love it. And I'm convinced I've listened to it more than any human alive. Could be true. <laughs> Could very well be true. Yeah, after I get those headphones, I'll definitely, um, you know, give it a few more listens. Um, I'm not saying I didn't like. It. I hope I didn't come across this negative. Um, it's no. just it's hard for me to. 
you know, you go for, we went from, we had a very diverse batch of records this week, <laughs> yeah. you know. Well, it's not engaging in the same way that me- like much music is. It's like, it's like allowing you to pick it up or leave it. And that's fair. And like, that do- it's not for everybody. But I think every, like many people could like sort of have it on in the background and not be bothered by it. Right. Which is just like part of the point of it or part it's of part, what it's it part of the point does. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was, it was four minutes and 33 seconds in, did you guys cover that at all in the book? John Cage? No, no. I don't know what that is though. I mean, that's, you want to, you want to relate it in case anyone doesn't know what it yeah, is? Yeah. I mean, for, for the listeners, I mean, and, and everyone it's, it's functional in a way. I mean, you know, the whole concept of four minutes and 33 seconds that it's, is that it's like a, you know, the sheet music of it is completely blank and what you're actually, the music that's made from it is what you hear around you during this, during the time that this piece is getting performed. And I, I mean, I think there's a lot, I think I think this is related to that for sure in that you can sort of take it and kind of leave it as it comes in and out. Um, and if you picture yourself being in an airport before we had cool headphones and iPods and phones and, you know, earbuds and stuff, man, this would have, this would have been pretty freaking nice. It's still great in an airport. Hell yeah. Oh, I do it all the time. In an airport. (laughs) And it calms me the fuck down. And I am a very nervous traveler. And it makes me much better. Totally. (laughs) And if you could. It's nice. If you could like. (laughs) If that was just like going on. You know, like as you're. As you're walking through the airport. And like. Yeah, you're hearing that music. And not in your headphones. If it's like, you know, installed in a place in the airport. And like, you can still talk to everybody that you need to talk to, and you can still hear the things that you need to hear, but you're still hearing this great, whatever, what beautiful music, you know, that is just kind of like existing I feel like outside it would of chill you. Everyone out a lot, it right? Totally <laughs> LaGuardia for a little bit in mid-1980. And then LaGuardia, okay. there's a different Brian Eno piece that was in the Tokyo airport for a while. But like in general, you just have to headphone it, I think. <laughs> LaGuardia is yeah. the worst airport I've ever been to. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. <laughs> As of like two years ago, the worst airport I've ever been to. <laughs> so yeah, I would have really liked to have heard this. I mean, it in 2018. just helps, helps space. It just makes a little space for you to not. Yeah. Yeah. It, it creates space. I think space. it would help TSA, man. Yeah. 
I think it's effective at what it's supposed to do, and it is very well suited to what I need from the world. Awesome. I think it's <laughs> specifically. I think it's so effective that it, like you were saying, Rob, that so many other artists from Ina to you know all the new age stuff picked up on this and just ran ran with it and you can run shitty or well yeah i guess if this last track is just one track of the synthesizer it's feasible he just has a sequencer running in like triggering each oscillator to do a separate thing but i i i don't know i I think he may just be having maybe a couple of arp 2600s like going simultaneously to like achieve this because to the best of my knowledge, it's a monophonic synth and, but no, I, I get you saying Birch about the blade runner, uh, thing with, uh, with this stuff. Cause that's, that's when I hear this track, it's blade runner. And like, I think in the new blade runner, there was like one moment that had the same synth sound and that's what I cottoned onto. But like when I hear this, I just feel like I'm in that world and like, it's, upsetting but also wonderful <laughs> like I don't it know. feels like the future yeah the horrible lovely dystopian future we are entering <laughs> uh, i think i think yes. i think the ar- <laughs> i think arps are monophonic so he, but i think he's got tape you know he's got multiple this is if remember, it's all remember, tape, it's, yeah. it's all loops you know yeah it's like layered which kind of creates this so other, you think it's like multiple of these? Could, he, he could have just had one ARP, you know, and, and then making different recordings on, on tape and then sort of making them, mixing them together, bouncing them down to make this multi-tracked sound. Yeah. I, I don't know, Brian, you know, if anybody had multiple ARP 2600s in 1978, it's Brian Eno, so I don't know. Sure. Sure, he had access. I mean, Debo was running around with two mini Moogs at the same time. The ARPs weren't more expensive than those. So I don't know. It doesn't matter. But you're right. If he's doing a bunch of tape loops, then he just laid down multi track. Sure. A few of these things and uh, went to town. We should ask him. Yeah. Uh, uh, I would love to know. Brian, are you here? Brian? Brian, I know. Brian? Brian? There's four others or three others of ambient. Oh albums. yeah. The middle two are with other people. And it's like interesting. Cause I feel like Brian, you know, is always collaborating. So like a lot of, and like when he collaborates with someone, he gives them the credit. So if you look on Spotify, it's always the other person. It's like harder to find. Um, and like the second one, it was like, he was creating a soundscape for this piano player to play over. And the third one um, was this sort of jazz musician that played like hammered dulcimer and zither. So it's very like, it sounds sort of Eastern um, in the like stereotypical way that I would say that about music, which is probably real outdated. (laughs) And then the fourth one is just Brian Eno again. And it's like got more dissonance on it. Because something I did listen to when I listened to, like, this album on your fancy headphones, like, I heard more dissonance under things than I had heard, like, with my shitty headphones where I mostly listen to stuff. And, like, Ambient 4 has a lot of, like, sort of dissonant tones and, like, it's a little darker in certain ways. 
Um, and he used a lot of recordings he made, like when he was touring around with David Byrne, random sounds from different countries, like a lot of stuff from Africa, I think. And then like, um, he also was like, I got away from synthesizers into using like sticks and chains and stones, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> they did together like in the, it's called in the shadow of ghosts and bushes or something. My life in the bush of ghosts. <laughs> I don't know. That's it. Oh, <laughs> I have that fucking up. rules. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. I probably would love it, but I did not listen to that. I just listened to the ambience. I'm interested. I mean, I just have to say, I give this album a, a huge recommendation. And people, I feel like people need to understand. It's like it's more of like a. It is more of like a John Cage type sort of like musical theory like um execution mm-hmm. you know than it is like a popular music record i'm glad that it's both but like i feel like for if if you're not into it then it, there, i i understand why yeah i yeah absolutely it's it spawns so many things that are just in our life now that I think that it's easy to glaze over, um, without having the, the history of it. I think it still holds up though, in the way it was constructed in the way it sounds, um, with, with the overlapping elements, um, and being so interesting and having the dynamics that it does. Uh, but there are so many, it's, it is easy to produce something like this now because we have the technology with computers and synthesizers that you can just program something in that sounds uh, similar to this. But obviously this was a creation yes. at the time. It's, but uh, again, I think it still holds up. But like you were saying, it is easy just to not think about this too much because it we've heard all these other things that are very similar. Uh, total positive for me. Obviously, this is uh, this is great stuff. I give it a positive. Thumbs up from Kyle. I didn't give it a thumbs up. Ooh, <laughs> oh, oh. so I couldn't hear you because I was just choosing to not hear. Because <laughs> I had other. That's what you get to do. <laughs> you dip in and out. What do you think, Rob? Rob what do you think, Rob? Yeah, I give it a positive. Um, I mean, it's minimalist and very interesting. It If you aren't into those things, you're not going to like this record <laughs> all too much. No, you won't. <laughs> if you're basing Eno's output, or bas- like you, if you've enjoyed uh, his previous like solo works, but, you know, you weren't digging too hard on like the side twos of, you know, another green world, you're not going to like this. Um, or the Bowie albums from the, yeah, or, or, the, or, or the Berlin trilogy. Or yeah. Or, or side twos on, uh, at least uh, low and, uh, heroes. Heroes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, it's, I mean, it's an important piece of work and yeah, I agree with you, Birch. It, 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 it still sounds good now um like it 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 will always sound good there there's not going to be a point in time when this becomes like 
ambient itself is a bit of a cliche, but I mean, the, 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 this record will stand the test of time. So yeah, total positive. This is my favorite album of all yes. time. And I will never not love it. <laughs> all right. So that's a positive. Okay. <laughs> so we're all positive over here. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Next time we'll be talking about Susie and the Banshees, Woo! the scream. Yes. All right. Thanks, y'all.